0: Onyx Maps is literally the one-stop shop for all outdoorsmen. Whether you whitetail hunt, whether you're backcountry, or a coon hunter, or whatever, Onyx Maps has functionality for you. And the best part is, you don't even have to have mobile data service. Go to onyxmaps.com and check out all the functionality And how it can benefit you. Enter the discount code NATION20, N A T I O N 20, to save 20% off your initial purchase. To the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host Dan Johnson. And today on the podcast, we are joined by Chris James of Muzzy. And I recorded this podcast at the 2020 Archery Trade Association show that happened uh, this past weekend. It was last week and this weekend. And I'm joined in this conversation with co-host Bob Polanic. And At the ATA show, I had the privilege to sit down and talk to a lot of manufacturers within the industry about their products. And this week, next week, and going on for quite a while, I'm going to share these episodes and and those conversations on the Hunting Gear podcast. I might even share some on the network feeds and the Nine Finger Chronicle feeds as well. But uh, lots of great information, lots of excitement, um... And I had a great time. And I love talking with these manufacturers because I feel like I learned something new every time I talk with, you know, let's say like a broadhead manufacturer or a boot manufacturer, backpack, arrows, whatever, everything in between. And uh, I had an absolutely great time. I think one of the, the best things about the ATA show is getting to talk to new gear nuts meeting new people who are like-minded in the hunting space and the gear space, and then, you know, seeing old friends and uh, just catching up with them. But uh, the Archery Trade Association does a really good job of putting on a show, uh, catering to the manufacturers of the world, the product developers of the world, and and letting guys like myself and uh, all other press on the floor to really document these uh these innovations and all the new products that are coming to the market and share them with you guys. So that's what I did while I was there. Like I said, make sure that you subscribe to the hunting gear podcast so you're getting a whole bunch of these little episodes. Uh Some of them, depending on time, might be merged with another like category. This particular episode is long enough to where I think I'm going to make it uh, a standalone episode. And on this episode, I am uh, with product developer Chris James, or he's a product specialist, uh, Chris James of Muzzy. And it's a broadhead company and we have a really cool conversation about muzzy broadheads, the broadhead market in general, and just, uh, overall awesome conversation about how they select, you know, how they know what broadheads they're going to manufacture, uh, fixed blades versus mechanicals and everything in between. So, uh, really good conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So, uh, I guess here goes nothing. But before we get into this episode, I just want to, again, make sure you guys are visiting the Sportsman's Nation uh, podcast network, sportsmansnation.com. Make make sure you are subscribing to the Whitetail feed, the Big Game feed, the Nine Finger Chronicles, and uh, follow along on Instagram and Facebook, Nine Finger Chronicles, Sportsman's Nation, and even Bob's Instagram feed, hybrid outdoors you guys are going to get a lot of information a lot of cool conversations and topics that go through our social site as well so without further ado here is a conversation I had with Chris James of muzzy at the 2020 archery trade show all right we are still here at the ATA show 2020 and I'm sitting next to Chris James of muzzy Chris how are you doing doing real good how are you guys I'm doing good Doing good, Bob. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Good, loving it, soaking it
0: all in, soaking it all in. All right, so Muzzy, Broadhead Company, Um, what is it about broadheads specifically that gets people so fired up? Right, I feel like there's a loyalty to broadheads that there isn't in any other category. Um,
1: You know, it's really I think it's the it's the piece that consummates the hunt, if you will. Yeah. So. It is the, it doesn't matter what else you do or what else you have. In, in a lot of aspects, it's the most important part of archery when it comes to the fact of when you're killing an animal, that is the part of your equipment that's doing the killing. Yeah. And people take that very personally. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, amount of, uh, the amount of destruction that it does, uh, I think it's something that has to be respected a lot. Um, because, you know, you can you can shoot uh, an arrow with a fill point on it and, it, you know, it's not going to do a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that's something that really makes a big difference uh, for those guys. And when they get behind something, um, it's an ego thing yeah. because uh, just like a car for a car enthusiast uh, is is the thing that they, you know, the, the motor or the, uh, the the type of car, if it's a Camaro or a Mustang or whatever they're they they get in that and people of like mindset they they really they'll argue what's better um because that's what they have uh or trucks you know the the ram the chevy the you know whatever the cummins or the Duramax, or you know it's the same type of argument all all throughout time i guess you would say as to what what's better but i think that's what gets people so polarized you know uh you see it a little bit with bows too but the the bows and the broadheads seem to be the two things that polarize people the most and have the uh a dedicated
0: following. Yeah, it's it's crazy, you know, especially on social media, right? You see what's better, mechanical versus, you know, what do you shoot? What you know, mechanicals versus fixed blades and all that. When you guys set out to uh, design a new uh, product or uh, push your existing uh, lineup, where where does a broadhead company stand on mechanical versus fixed blade? so that's a really good question
1: and one that we get a lot on what do I personally shoot and I, and I'll tell you we've got uh, we've got four or five different broadhead brands that are in there and I would take any broadhead that we've got in our lineup and go kill different animals
0: with it there are
1: broadheads that are designed and made more specifically for a certain situation or instance and setup up um, than others but it's what you feel comfortable with if you don't have confidence in what you're shooting, you second-guess yourself in a, a, t- a critical time, and you screw up. If you can't accurately shoot that broadhead, regardless of what it is, or you don't have enough energy to push it through the animal, or you think you might not have enough energy to push it through the animal, that's always going to be the first thing that you blame. If you can have a setup that your arrow hits exactly where you want it to, and gets the performance that you want it to get there should be no second guessing or thought process. if it doesn't hit the animal where you had the pin you did something wrong it's not the it's not the equipment's fault and that's the broadhead's the first to get blamed um, but it's also the first to get praised you know if it doesn't go if the animal doesn't go very far man did you see what this broadhead did yeah if it if they lose an animal oh man you know that that broadhead i shouldn't have i should have done that it wasn't flying good or it didn't do this or i wasn't sure about that it's all about confidence if you're not confident in it don't use it and use your equipment enough to get confident in it to know what it does on your setup because what works for nine out of ten people you might be the one guy that it just doesn't work and, yeah and it it's no one thing because there's so many variables that come into archery you know um are you overspined or underspined on your arrow right should you you know do you have too much tip tip weight or do you have, not have enough or you have too much weight in the back are you shooting? Do you have a high anchor point? Do you, do you do something differently with your form that no one else really does? it's kind of non-traditional. You know, do you look like a Charles Barkley golf swing when you draw a <laughs> bow. I mean, like you know those kinds of things. It's something guilty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, not everybody swings a golf club the same way. Not everybody shoots a bow exactly the same way. Now, you, as long as you do it consistently, that's fine. But it does it does things to arrow flight that are different, and people have to understand that. You know, when you shoot a fixed blade broadhead, we're talking muzzy here, a broadhead is simply a, a giant amplifier on the front of your arrow. If you shoot an arrow and it's it's wiggling and twisting and kicking, um, it may straighten out in the first five yards with a fill point on there. It's not going to straighten out the first five yards with a fixed blade broadhead on there. It's going keep It's going to keep wiggling around. And and if you don't have enough fletchings on the back of it to steer it and guide it and stabilize it, it's going to do it the whole way downrange, and it's going to drift off one way or another. You know, if you if you uh, think about a think about it as a car without a steering wheel, right? If it gets out of shape, it's just gonna it's gonna push it wherever it wants to go. But if it leaves in a straight line, it's going to continue in that straight line. Um, and so you know, it, it it's really one of those uh, really one of those things. And where 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 do a, where does a broadhead you know expandable order, you know, I, I've I've shot animals with with a lot of expandables that we've got. I've shot them with uh, hybrids, and I'm I'm a hybrid fan myself. I like I like a hybrid broadhead. I like having um, the additional cut that you get with a, with a expandable set of blades, but I also like having that just that reassurance that you know if something goes wrong with something I've done, um, I get. I get a little bit of extra cut on a different angle. Um, you know, some people are, are worried about a two blade, and and I've done it. I've had a heart shot where, uh, or a shot on a deer where I, I was trying to shoot it in the heart, and I hit it a little bit, little bit low, and the blades went left and right instead of up and down, and I shot right under its heart. Yeah. And I didn't get that deer. Um, where if you would, have, if I would have had something with another set of blades going up and down, I would have probably clipped something. Right. Um, but you know, that's so, that's something that you that you deal with and. Uh, it's a it's a choice, right? You know, you want to pick you want to pick what's best for you. And uh, you know, most guys that, that like to uh, that are shooting limited poundage or uh, have have used fixed blades and and, uh, and like to shoot near the shoulder. That's a choice that they make. And you know, it's a very effective shot. It's very lethal. You're going to get a quick kill. Um, you know, and then there's guys that that are just more comfortable that if they make a bad shot, they would like to have the cutting diameter of an expandable and those guys they just can't shoot close to the leg you know because if you know there's there's certain instances where you can but you know if you dead center the scapula with an expandable broadhead it's very very hard to get enough penetration to make it a lethal right. hit yeah where if they hit it back um you know they, they've got a lot better chance of recovering an animal than you do with a fixed blade so is this is this the only expandable, truly ex, true expandable you guys offer? Yep. The new shank, the and new then, shank, and then the the other expandables you offer are actual the
0: hybrids. Hybrids, yep.
1: Okay. okay, I got you.
0: So I want to talk about the arrow. Look at it as an equation, mm-hmm. right? Um, to get an end result, you know, a lot of people look at an arrow as one thing, right? When in all actuality, it's a combination of things. What weight? Or what variable, like the importance of that variable in that equation, does the broadhead actually play? Is it a big one, or is it something like, you just need to practice with what you have and you'll be fine? You know,
1: in most instances, people will shoot a 100-grain broadhead, and they'll shoot an aluminum insert, and for the most part, that's that's a sufficient setup. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're shooting inside of 40 yards. Yeah. And as long as you're limiting your distance, that's a sufficient setup. Yeah. So the broadhead really is a typical broadhead setup is all you need. When when people start playing with um, trying to get a heavier arrow, you have to look at your front of center and where that comes into play. So that sometimes that means either shooting heavier broadhead or shooting a weighted insert. And most people nowadays prefer to shoot a weighted insert because the 100-grain broadhead is the standard for most of them you know our sales we have to we have to do our product selection based on sales and demand and we used to have a lot of different heavier weight broadheads because it made sense and in recent years that's just dwindled away more and more because everyone goes to a 100-grain broadhead because they can buy a brass insert or a steel insert and get that tip weight um, and then take that same broadhead and use it on something else if they want to. Um, you know where it really comes into play is guys that are shooting traditional equipment That's where changing your broadhead tip weight uh, to get that spot of the arrow right uh, Really comes into play uh, the arrow itself. I guess you would say uh, is It's important that your tip weight is good for the you know for the rat the spot of the arrow and um,
0: I don't know, does that kind of cover your question? Yeah, yeah so all right you got you guys got this lineup mm-hmm. of you know fixed blades Um You got mechanicals, you got hybrids. One particular uh, broadhead of your guys' lineup, the one, Mm -hmm. really stands out to me. Yep. Because me having a, I I don't want to say an engineering background because I don't, but the like mechanicals, everybody says, oh dude, I've had this mechanical fail on me. Mm -hmm. Right? Fixed blades should not have any failure problems Mm -hmm. because they don't move like a mechanical does. And it looks like you've taken that one step further with the one, so there's actually it is one piece of metal yep. that's been machined down. Why why is that so cool?
1: Well, there's a lot. So you, you kind of touched on some of Muzzy's history. So not I don't know how many people know this, but so John a Senior, he was a the founder of Muzzy. So he was Mr. Muzzy. Okay. And what he did was he? He actually went on a, a buffalo hunt in Africa back in the seventies, and he he shot a buffalo three or four times with his recurve, and the the, the broadhead at the time was hitting ribs, and it was just just wrinkling up. It wasn't it wasn't standing up. It wouldn't get through the bone, and so he ended up getting charged. He shot it with a a, a large caliber rifle, just feet from him, and he, he went back home, and he in his mind he said, I I want to develop a never fail broadhead, a broadhead that can bust through bone and will not ever lose a blade. That's what the original Muzzy Broadheads were set up to do. So with what you're talking about there, that is the never-fail mentality that Muzzy has, okay? Um, With that, as we went through the years, the three blades, um, you know, it was a big deal when Thunderheads were all the rage and the Muzzy three-blade came along, and you could put your Muzzy together and put it in a Broadhead box, and you didn't ever have to worry about checking how tight your Broadhead was because that blade was never going to come out of your... Uh, Your ferrule in the quiver. So, as yeah. we, we progressed through time, we've came up with these other systems that we've always had multiple fail safes, so it would always be a never fail broadhead. That's the the hybrid, that's the idea behind a hybrid. Well, now we went to a one piece solid head. And that one piece of steel that, that comes out as it comes out as a piece of bar stock and runs into that CNC machine, um, the amount of strength that it has is 30% stronger than anything its equivalent. So when you ahead, you, and, and for people that don't know what Miming is, it's basically um, a powdered type, uh, almost like a powdered type substance that they inject into a mold, they heat it up, and then it forms this piece of metal, and it's strong, but it's not as strong as what that bar stock that gets compressed down as it's hot, yeah. and gets pushed through and molded into that bar. So that is what gives it the strength, and that's what makes it so cool, um, because you're machining that one solid piece, and you're, you know, to break that is an unbelievable amount of energy that's required. Yeah. There's going to be so many other things that fail before that broadhead will fail. Um, you know, it, it it's, you know, it's going to be the one piece of equipment that will not get damaged to, to the point of
0: um, failure. Okay. So, I, I see that as a whole new manufacturing. Process compared to making pieces and assembling a broadhead compared to machining it. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys have to learn as far as the design, knowing that it's going to be one piece?
1: You know, we we did a couple things. Uh, it was it was a couple years in the in the making when we looked at it, and the cutting diameter and the length of the broadhead. Those are all things that are that are very important as well as just the. The sharpening aspect of it, because okay. it's different when you're sharpening that type of steel versus a very a very thin blade that you can run on a, on a mass sharpening scale. Um, so it comes, you know, when, when you're sharpening the replaceable blades, they're laid out in a line, and you've got a sharpener that's going down and back, and then there's a process that hones that blade in a large quantity of them. This is done one edge at a time forward and backward, forward and backward, all the way around that broadhead until all of the edges have the same sharpness um, to them. So that's one thing that's uh, that's a big difference. Uh, you know, and then the, the heat treating is another thing on it. So the, the Rockwell hardness of this broadhead versus other broadheads, um, every time you change the material or you're changing uh, that, it, it matters because you have to find the sweet spot. And normally with the blades, you want them to bend not break so a replaceable blade broadhead it gets its strength from the ferrule and with a, a traditional muzzy that interlocks together um the the blade inside the aluminum ferrule gives it the strength for our trocar series are, that are already steel they get that backbone from the steel that are, that's in the center of them but they don't have that they don't have to flex at all because the blades themselves flex and bend and not break Where when you're going to this one piece all of those things have to have the same hardness. You can't have different hardnesses. And if you don't have it hard enough, it won't hold an edge. And if you have it too hard, it becomes brittle and will, will shatter. So that's a that's a fine line. That's a lot of testing that we had to do. And uh, we've got this, this Instron machine that, that allows us to, to do force, and it calculates the force it takes to break it. So we're able to push it down into a hard substance and figure out exactly where it fractures at. And you take a, a wide variety of these Rockwells and you can just see, you can see where that sweet spot actually comes in. So, you know, there's a lot of research and development that goes into these. All right, so. So,
0: three verse, four verse, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just the look of this, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm fixated on this just because of the machining, you know, yep. the, the machining process. Is, is the sharpening Different on this, I, will a will this machined broadhead hold a different edge than a the other manufactured blades?
1: Yes, it, it's it's uh, it's a thicker steel. Yeah. So machining it down, it's not going to uh, the thinner the metal, the sharper it in theory becomes because um, in that angle that you go off of. And so we've got an angle on this that's a little bit different than what the angle of most of our other blades are uh, because this has to be sharpened on a stone where you can lay it on a flat stone and just push it forward and backwards to sharpen it. You can't do that with our other blades. They've got a different angle on that blade which allows it, because they're essentially a razor blade and that gives it it a very, very fine and non-reusable because it's gonna get damaged because it's so thin as it goes through an animal that edge is gonna get dinged up and nicked up. This one, um, it will get sharp and it'll get the same level of sharpness, but it will not have that same feel to it. So when, when you're talking about cutting through something, um, that very thin um, thin metal blade is gonna slice through it in one way, but it's gonna feel very, very sticky. This one, it'll slice through it in the same way with the same amount of force, but you're not going to have the same feel to it. So that's something that people have to kind of get over like that, the stickiness or when you put it down on your you know I don't recommend people doing this but if you're putting it down to shave a lot of people test it to see if it'll yep. shave you put it down and you run it across your the back of your hand it's going to take the hair right off of it it may not feel like it's that sticky but it's going to take the hair to a clean spot on your arm and that's you know, that's how I test it. You know, if a broadhead, if I take it out and I can't shave with it, I'm not happy. You know? Should this, should this one, Sorry. the the machine broadhead, that's all one piece, should that hold a better edge longer than your thinner blades? Um, it the, will, uh, it'll have a more durable edge, yeah. So durable. you won't, you won't, when you run it through an animal, it won't take as much, um, it won't take as much punishment on it. You'll be able to yeah. get that blade back to a sharpness really quickly, and you know, with a diamond flat stone, it, I don't know, I've taken them and and. Jing them up pretty good, and, and within five minutes I've had them back to kind of where I would shoot them again. You know, it doesn't okay. take a, it doesn't take an enormous amount of time. You know, and you just have to you have to kind of not be distracted because you have to count your strokes on each side. That's where you that's the only thing that with this type of head is if you uh, if you sharpen one side too much, you'll end up making it wobble because okay. it, you take too much material off one side and it becomes unbalanced. Okay. Yeah. So you just have to count your strokes when you're sharpening it.
0: The broad category as a whole, this is me outside as a consumer looking in. I feel it's marketing, the majority of it is just marketing and I, I know a guy could argue that that's for every product that's being bought and sold in any category. Yep. Is there—is there anything exciting or new or different technology that is coming down the pipe. Maybe you can speak on Muzzy or the the category as a whole that will bring a different kind of excitement back to the broadhead category.
1: You know, it's hard to say. Um, we, we are constantly looking for that next exciting thing. In fixed blade broadheads, there's not a ton else you can do. There's only so much geometry you can do. There's only so many materials you can use. Um, there's different ways of machining things that that that's really the thing that, that we're looking at is how we can how we can make things differently, um, and that's that's a big thing, you know. With uh, on the Rage side of things, we've got the no collar, and that was that was a big exciting thing last year as we launched it, and then we, we transferred that into some other categories this year into our into our other uh, product lines. But you know, I don't know the. I think that. As we continue to move forward, you know, we're, we're trying different materials for ferrules, for blades, stuff like that. Um, you, you try to you try to get it lighter and lighter, to where you can put more beef in the blades or, or make things stronger. Right. Um, but until I think really until people get away from having to have a hundred grain broadhead, I don't think you'll see it because that's our biggest issue. Is if we could make a hundred and twenty five grain broadhead that everyone would buy, we could make we could make everything stronger better uh, wider penetrate better there's lots of things we could do but because you're limited to do that hundred grain mindset we've made other we've made other weights of broadheads that were awesome broadheads and they just don't sell so it's it's it is marketing the question is what would it take to convince you that this black book is blue yeah if i if i tell you this book is blue and you're like no it's black How long will I have to tell you that it's blue before you're like, all right,
0: it's blue? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So I hear this. I've talked to several other broadhead manufacturers, and they say the same thing. The designers, the engineers say, I can make a better broadhead if I make it in 125 grains." Absolutely. What the hell is wrong with the consumer then? Are they not hearing the message? Because I'm sold on it. I have no idea. We've we've tried it. We've tried it over and over,
1: um, and you, you make a better broadhead and put it at 100, 125 or one hundred and fifty grains, and it's some sort of glitch in their brain that speed is still a is still a thing. And That's you know, crazy. I'm I'm going to say this year my setup, I was shooting uh, I was shooting a Matthews with um, on 72, 73 pounds maxed out. And I was shooting our uh, Pile Driver DS Carbon Express arrows, and uh, with a hundred, hundred grain head on it. And I was shooting that five. I was shooting a five hundred and fifty grain arrow, three hundred and four feet a second. Yeah, wow. That's a lot of energy. Yep. Oh, yeah. And I would have, I would have been willing. You know, I was, I would have been willing to shoot a hundred and fifty grain head, but I was shooting some prototype stuff, so I was having to shoot a hundred. I would have rather shot our hundred and fifty grain trap on there and made that a six hundred grain arrow shooting two hundred and eighty feet a second, because, in my opinion. I like shooting a bow that's somewhere between 280 and 290. That's my hunting setup. That's yeah. that I feel like that's the most effective, quietest uh, setup that you can have, yeah. um, and it's still going to give me the same energy because in the equation of speed and weight, they're the same. Right. They're equal to each other. Yeah. So
0: you're kind of a badass. I I jack my air weight up this year to 512, and I was, man, I'm the shit, you know. And then here you are, had to belittle me on my own <laughs> podcast, <laughs> you know. So. Um, I want to I want to take a hard transition here and go into the bow fishing realm. Okay, you're okay? in my you're in my wheelhouse now. <laughs> because, dude, you want to talk about uh, someone who's really passionate about a thing? Yep. It's guys who bow fish. Yes. And I got uh, one of my buddy's neighbors. I you know here I am whipping out a picture of a buck I got on the trail cam. It's like, hey, check this monster out! It's awesome. And this guy's like, oh, that's I guess that's all right check out this 50 pound carp I just shot last <laughs> night out of a out of my boat what what is it about bow fishing that gets people so jacked up um it's a team sport yeah. it's a
1: it's a group sport it's a social activity um so I love hunting Yes. Yeah. and I love my time in the tree stand to reflect and kind of get away from this hectic you know thing that we yep. have going yep. on here and it, it kind of lets you reflect and you know for us it's a it's it generates ideas on new products and um kind of get right with the world i love that and i you got to have that but when it's springtime and um, you know for me going out with my buddies and putting on some music and riding around in a boat and shooting fish um there's something about the i, I can't explain it but the stress relief that you get doing that and the enjoyment that comes yeah. from it um is amazing and you can do it with i can take my wife my kids it doesn't matter anybody can do it there's not a lot of uh you don't have to be super strong you you just have to want to do it and uh you can you can do it just about anywhere that there's water there's just for, just about every state has some some water that can you can shoot you can do it from the bank you can wait around in a creek uh you can when it floods you can go up and do it and just the sheer amount of success that you have doing it because with most hunting setups, you get, you spend how many hundreds of hours do you shoot from the summertime to try to culminate a fall kill, yeah. and you, and if you're in a, if you're a great archer and you're in a good state, you know, you get three, four, five kills, that's a pretty good season, you know, there's guys that, that obviously get more than that, but your average guy is shooting, you know, maybe a couple does in a buck a year, or maybe two bucks and, and uh, two or three does. But, you, know, you 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 don't get over that ver- that very often and it's a it's a very selective thing and i, I will say that you 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 kind of know with the trail cameras of today you kind of know what's out there like yeah. if you go to a spot like remember when you were a kid before trail cameras and you're like you had these dreams of the bucks oh, that were going to yeah. walk by and oh, you yeah. don't you, you never knew what was going to come and there was something about that yeah. it's hard to get fired up when you've got only 4-year-olds out there and nothing that you you want to let something grow. Like you, It's hard to get fired up about that. There's the hope that something will wander through in the rut. You don't know. But when you go out there, like you never know what you're going to see. Yeah. Like you, you could see a 70 pound fish that set a new state record because that's just the opportunity. You, this huge body of water is a mystery. You don't yeah. know what's in there. And uh, you can fish the same spot every night and you'll see a new fish that's bigger than the one you saw the last two years every single time you go out. No, that's a, there's just something about that allure um, that people like. We are on different wavelengths but the same wavelength. Yeah. I love fishing. Love river fishing from Michigan. Mm-hmm. A lot of steelhead salmon. But if I got a bunch of four-and-a-half-year-old bucks on camera, <laughs> I am <laughs> going to be jacked to go hunting. <laughs> well, depends depends on where you're at. So, if you know, for me, I don't really care. Um, but the, the mindset of today's hunter is that if I don't have a, I'm going to air quote, Maturity deer and, oh, yeah. and now used to it was three and a half but now the more you you hear people talk oh yeah. you know the four you know the four and a half you got you get to let them grow because they're not they're not going to re- reach their peak until that you know right full potential full yeah. potential i okay. you know i i think if
0: you win the battle you win the battle take you so yeah. you know so i like here i am I'm, I'm i don't know anything about bow fishing what is muzzy offering uh in the bow fishing market
1: you know, so we we feel like we've got a pretty complete offering on everything that you would need to get up yeah. to get set up and going. So we've got we've got entry level items. Um, so we've got some kits that start off. So if you've got an old bow at home um, that you want to set up for bow fishing, we've got a bow fishing kit that's a reel, a rest, and arrow, some some no gloves, uh, the basics that you would need to go out and get started with a bow that you already have. Um, and you know that's I think that's one hundred and thirty ish dollars, something like that. So. That's a real good starter starter set, and then uh, we've got the stuff that you would need in aside from that to keep going. So we have we have fish arrows, and we have several different models of fish arrows, um, the tips to replace them, and then um, we've got the we've got reel seats, so that it, you know if you're if you want to upgrade from the reel you've got, you can you can upgrade to one of our better reels. Uh, we've got a we've got a standard style reel seat, and then we've got a, a new quick detach the LVR. Um, Real seat where you just you flip a lever, it slides open, and then you pop the reel off, and you put another one in, and close it down. And uh, it's super fast. You know, there was there were some other ones out there that were spring loaded from some competitors, um, but you got to be a man to really get that thing off if you're in a hurry. Like <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to you got to lock it down, and you know, not everybody that's fishing out there can do that. You know, we've got a couple people on our pro staff, uh, Kinsey Taylor. She's she's one of the best shooters that I know. Like uh, you know, she'll handle a lot of guys their uh, their lunch when it's out there when it comes to shooting, and. Uh, You know, she just, she can't physically take one of those spring-loaded ones off. And, you know, she's, it's not that she's weak. She just doesn't have the leverage to to be able to pop it off. With this lever bow, with this lever reel seat, you just pop it down and you can change it in, you know, seconds. So that's pretty cool. Um, Then we've got some other bow fishing bows. Uh, We've got a, we've got a recurve uh, kit that we offer. Um, We've got a VICE bow fishing kit, which is our entry-level compound kit. And that's going to run you about $330 right around there, and that's going to give you, again, the bow, a reel, a rest, an arrow, and no gloves. And then we've got our new um, LVX, which is our camless lever bow. And so this comes off of Onada. We actually partnered with Onada, We licensed some technology from them so that we could actually make this this lever bow and uh, make it at an affordable price. That, so ironically in bow fishing, the Onada that was out there in the 1980s to bow hunt with transfers energy into a heavy arrow really well and when you're shooting uh, when you're bow fishing you don't always want to come to full draw you want to snap shoot a lot with compounds that can be tricky Um, but with a recurve it's really good but you don't you have to shoot a lot of weight in a recurve to get the energy that you need to get a a fish that's, that's fairly deep you lose a lot of energy with a recurve so the lever bow is like the perfect combination of compound and recurve and so this is it's it's the it's the, the bow that everybody wants, yeah. but not everybody can afford a, an eight hundred plus dollar bow fishing bow. Just the bow itself. Yeah. So the LVX is you know uh, just under five hundred bucks for the bare bow, and just under six hundred bucks for a kit. So guys that are, you know the guys that are stepping up and have been doing it for a little while, that's the boat that they want to do, and that's just that one's just new for this year. So have gotcha. cool. Got a lot of stuff there. You know we we kind of we have got several different types of fish points too. We've got some that are just our regular quick release that we've had for a long time. We've got our iron series that are more for soft flesh fish like your big heads and your your Asian silver carp that jump or or just big big strong fish because uh, what you got to remember these fish are stronger than their flesh. So they'll actually pull hard enough that you can pull a giant chunk of their flesh out. So if you don't spread that energy out across a big surface area, um, they'll they'll pull their they'll pull themselves right off of an gotcha. arrow because of that. So yeah. um, that's something we've got arrow rest to cover everything. We've got gaffs. We've got line pullers. We've got uh, rods that go on the front of your your reel seat. So if you mount your your reel to the bow through a reel seat. Um, or directly we, with a, a bracket that we build in, and they've got a port on the front. So, what another thing people don't understand is, the reels that you use in bow fishing get a lot more abuse than what you know than a fishing rod reel does. Because even though they're they're similar and all of their functionality is the same, we have to beef them up a lot more because uh, you have this giant lever that takes a, that gives you a mechanical advantage and takes a lot of the energy off the reel. With a fishing rod, you know you put a you put an eight foot rod out in front of it, and you've got a lot of leverage. Um, you're trying to pull a, a 40 or 50 pound fish in directly off the pickup pin. Right. The only thing holding that is that pickup pin. Like, and you're pulling sideways on it and you're reeling it down. Um, there's no advantage to it. And if you don't, you don't understand that. Try to take and pull drag out of a out of a fishing pole that's set on, I don't know, say 20 pounds of pressure to pull it out of the reel here. Mm-hmm. Try to pull it out of the re- pull it out of the drag at the end of the pole. It takes a lot more force to pull right. it out there. So this rod goes into the. End of your your reel seat, and it runs through, and it just gives you something to take the pressure off that pickup pin, and yeah. so it'll extend the life of your reel a lot. Um, so, that, I mean, that's kind of the the overview yeah. of it. We, we've trimmed it down. We used to have a we used to have a lot more niche stuff, but we're trying to stay in the mainstream and and focus on the the parts that we can we can kind of innovate and and hit the masses on. Um, you know, we we'd like to be a lot smaller into it, but. Uh, you know we have to try to pick our battles on stuff like that because there's we just can't do the same things that a lot of the smaller guys can do um you know if they've got if they're out of their garage um as a manufacturer and, and they've got a very specific thing you know that's that's awesome they can they can live on the kind of margins they need to live on and they're doing it for a living and so they don't have the overhead that we do um but you know you only sell 500 or something a year it's hard for us to stomach that where they that's great for them. You right. Know, they yeah. can get they can get several things. They sell 500 of a piece of, and it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So
0: we're going to wrap it up here, but uh, going kind of going back to the broadhead side of things. Why should a bow hunter, serious or not, mm-hmm. consider Muzzy as their broadhead?
1: You know, I think it comes back to uh, how they feel about it as a hunter and what they what they want to do as a hunter. You know, Muzzy is the most durable, dependable broadhead you could ever have. And if you want something that you know is never going to let you down, it's it's that uh, it's the F-150 of broadheads, if you will. It's that you know every you can always depend on it. It's always going to be there. You can always uh, if you have if you run out of them or you lose them or whatever, you can find them at any store anywhere. And uh, you know you can shoot them through a steel drum, you can shoot them into a concrete block, you can you can shoot them through anything you want to. Um, they're going to be sharp. They're going to be. Uh, they're going to be accurate, and I think that's really what it comes down to. Is it's got to be a durable, dependable product and that they can that they can depend on. And it doesn't matter if you're hunting uh, if you're hunting a whitetail deer, if you're hunting a, a hog, if you're going to Africa, you can hunt anything on on uh, on this planet with those broadheads and do it with confidence and know that there's not very many animals out there that have not been killed with a buzzy broadhead. I mean, over the course of the last 30 years. It's killed anything you can imagine. Human? <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> we actually did have some calls last year from a guy that got killed with a crossbow. Oh, so that's real. That's real. Wow. Okay, yeah we, well. we actually had to, we actually had a, an investigator call us and had to identify several components that we make <laughs> oh, wow. in, a, in a murder investigation. I was just trying to be a smartass. Right. Nope. Right. Well, there you, there you go. There you go.
0: There you go, Muzzy. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout-out to Chris for hopping on the podcast. I know that show is absolutely crazy, so making time for me. I really appreciate that. If you guys want to find out more information about the Hunting Gear podcast, you can go to iTunes. You can download it, uh, subscribe to it. Uh, listen to all the conversations that we have. This is the podcast for Gear Nuts. You can also go to sportsmansnation.com and take a look at all of the past episodes that we've launched. Uh, look into it a little bit. And you can look into all of the other podcasts that are, that are on our platform. So, thank you very much. Hopefully you guys have a great rest of your week and we will talk to you next time. Keep a lookout for more Hunting Gear Podcast, coming very soon.